Welcome to Dead Headspace. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Ghana, and all other major platforms, which includes Alexa. All you have to do is tell Alexa to play Dead Headspace Podcast for the latest episode every Monday and Thursday. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough. And alongside me, as always, is my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hey, everybody. And today we have our uh, return of our guest host, Erica Robin. She's a reviewer and a fine one at that. Hello, Erica. Hey, guys. And we are joined by author, amongst many other titles now, it's racking (laughs) up within the past year alone, Sonora Taylor. How are you, Sonora? Good. How about you guys? Pretty good. What got you into horror? Well, um, I mean, I just kind of remember it as far back as even when I was little, because both my parents are really into horror. So, you know, they were fine with watching me kind of like with me watching like kind of the creepy cartoons and and, you know, stuff like Nightmare Before Christmas. I was, I think, seven years old when that movie came out. So um, so, you know, I went and saw that in theaters with them. Uh, Edward Scissorhands was like my favorite movie when I was a kid. Um, yeah, so I was just into all those, and then I was, um, I always, like, have had kind of a dark sense of humor, like, I really love Gallo's humor and all that, and a lot of my horror, when I was writing more seriously, would kind of come from, like, you know, just putting kind of macabre twists on everyday situations, and then, you know, I would just start writing it, and it's it's funny because a lot of my stuff always came from something that was just kind of funny, but then as I wrote it, it was just more dark than funny. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I would, and especially when I was first starting writing, I would kind of switch between writing some of the darker stuff, especially short stories, and then, you know, writing. My first novel um, was actually like a contemporary fiction novel more so. Um, but my editor, Evelyn Duffy with open boat editing was saying, um, she told me one time afterward when I was trying to think of what to write for my second novel, she's like, you know, I mean, please give is really good. I really enjoyed it, but it, you know, it's got a very specific audience and it's also something that like, you know, I think most people could write just with their own spin. Whereas I think your dark stuff is really good and you should pursue that. And so shortly after that, I got the idea for Without Condition. And, you know, she kind of gave me the courage to just see that one through as a novel. And then I pretty much at this point, I'm just writing horror full time. I enjoy it. It's where more of my ideas come from, admittedly, because one of the reasons she gave me that piece of advice was because I was suffering from writer's block for the second novel. Cause I was trying really hard to write this kind of like, and it's still a good idea and I think I want to pursue it, but it's basically the trip, but with two women and breweries as opposed to two men in restaurants. But the problem was I just wasn't getting any joy out of writing it. And so I wasn't pursuing it. And so then, you know, when she's like, maybe you should try writing dark stuff, long form, that's when I kind of switched to writing horror, both in short form and long form. And now it's pretty much all I write. <laughs> Real quick. Cause we're all, drinking this is normally not a question i bring up but <laughs> first i want to start with sonora because you threw a you threw a brand at me then like hmm, she knows i have a pig i think so let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about your drink tonight so yeah i am drinking i was inspired by you saying oh are we going to be drinking tonight uh <laughs> i'm having a whistle pig 10 year 
Um, they're a distillery based out of Vermont and they're actually my favorite whiskey. Um, and yeah, I actually got this bottle from a gift set that also included barrel aged coffee and barrel aged maple syrup. Uh, but then it also came with the whistle pig 10 year and like a smaller bottle in the middle. So you can get like, I, I swear we're not advertising. It's just in case anyone wants it, but <laughs> you know, get the three bottles together in a gift set. It's about $45 and that's actually a pretty good deal to get some whistle pig 10 year. Cause it, it's not a cheap whiskey as anyone who's seen it on the shelves has seen. Although whistle pig did recently start doing a six year rye called piggyback and <laughs> And that one's $45. And again, that sounds expensive, but for Whistle Pig, that's actually not a lot of money. <laughs> so. <laughs> is, it, is it just like a smooth drink? Mm -hmm. I imagine it would be. Yes, especially for a rye, because that tends to be a little spicier on the back of the palate. Mm. But um, Whistle Pig is indeed very smooth. Um, the first time I was actually able to buy a bottle for myself, I got a discount from the liquor store down the street from the office where I used to work. It's one of those places where every time I go in, they're having some kind of sale and the guys will be like, yes, and you know, for you, we'll keep the price low. And so I haven't had a chance to follow up though, since I've been working from home since March, but <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. Uh, Erica, what are you drinking? Uh, apparently we have a theme so far. I totally forgot. Um, I am drinking a Zeppelin. It's a raspberry <laughs> lemonade sour ale, but it's from Rockingham Brewery. Uh. <laughs> so you guys got to look up the logo sometime. It's literally a pig in a rocking chair. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Rockingham from? Uh, this is from New Hampshire. So okay. Um, okay. I, I can't remember if they're in Londonderry or Derry, New Hampshire. Mm. Uh, what was that, uh... Was that like center New Hampshire? Yeah, it's just south of Manchester. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, uh, my family and I vacation in that area. I love it there. It's beautiful. Uh, Brennan, how about you? Oh God. I, well, first of all, I'm gonna break the pig theme, um, <laughs> and you know, also the refined palate theme. Um, but I, I'm drinking uh, Sam Adams Winter Lager because uh -huh. it's available. Um, and it's, and it's fine. <laughs> and that'll probably, that'll probably change, you know, depending on how long this episode goes, you'll see different labels crossing the screen, but do you have old Fezziwig ale? No, no, uh, I, I haven't gotten the variety pack ooh. yet this year. I'm out, I'm on the lookout for, I like the cold snap that comes out <laughs> around this time oh, of year. Oh yeah. I like I the chocolate box that comes out oh the chocolate bock is good and they also do one called white christmas that's really mm -hmm. good yeah i usually get the the christmas variety pack at some point i guess i'm due for a trip the old um however you, i already forgot his surname right. yeah i i've tried that i used to be uh, i used to be a liquor clerk at a local grocery store called roach brothers and uh I would just look at the packs the variety packs that they had as a young 20 year old i'm like what am I getting fucked up on tonight? <laughs> and that was one year. Their variety pack had chocolate cherry stout. Uh, that was a good Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds delicious. Although one of my favorite variety packs now is the Trogues holiday pack. One year it was all cans, and so they had their Mad Elf beer in cans, and that was that was really nice. That was a pleasant surprise. It's a 
for anyone who doesn't know, Mad Elf is like a Belgian style with cherries, honey, and chocolate, and it's like 11%. It really packs the wallet. Holy <laughs> shit. Uh, yeah, so that sounds wonderful. It's 7.5%. It's, uh, it's good for this time of year. Um, like, uh, I actually have stocked up on Christmas beers, but I'm not going to start drinking them until next week. <laughs> I think we should all do a live recording if it's safe and when it's safe at Sonora's house. <laughs> she does seem to stock the good stuff. I mean, I'll bring my, fair. I'll bring the pig. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she can, she can meet Sweet Pea and they can all play. <laughs> yeah, you're, that's your little dog, right? Yes, yes, she's a little corgi eagle. <laughs> yeah, she's adorable. So. I'm drinking a New Jersey brand. It's called uh, Cape May. It's the most southern point town in uh, New Jersey. Cape May Brewery, uh, double India uh, India Pale Ale, white caps, and I get that kind of uh, drink because it's the most alcohol content in it. <laughs> That's really the only reason. I am uh, very much have so- our standards. I mean, like, I barely drank. I'm Irish, so I'm like, I don't give a fuck. I'll, I'll drink whatever. <laughs> um, so I just want to jump to something since we – this is going to come out the Monday after the one we did. Me and Brendan recorded earlier today, which is with uh, Laurel, Cena Paleo, and uh, Gemma Moore. Sorry, I don't know why I blanked on that. Um, <laughs> and we mainly talked about We Are Wolves. Yeah. I I got a little teary eyed. I didn't talk about it on the show, but like Cena when she started talking, I don't know what it was, but she just her and V Castro, the they they both kind of tear it up when they were talking about uh, basically how they're finally getting a voice in the community, mm-hmm. and that is really it's upsetting that it's 2020 and it's that long that it it took. Uh, females of actually females to get this strong of voice so far but your show your episode will come out uh monday uh the 30th of november okay Um, so i bring that up because your story and i know it's a short story the anthology doesn't have a that they said that there's it comes out when it comes out so this could very likely come out before the anthology so i absolutely don't want to spoil anything so the only way I can really question this is uh, what do you, if anything, want to tell us about your story and it called The Parrot? Sure. Um, yeah, I'm happy to talk about it a little bit. Like, um, it, it's actually an idea that I had written down maybe within the past year or something. And um, it was originally going to be called Echo after the Amazon Echo and it was going to be that, like, um, a, a man's wife had been killed, and um, but as he was, like, in the house, she was she had, like, left messages on the Echo for him, um, like, that, that kept recording. So that did change a bit with the parrot. You know, I turn, I, I, it's, it, is, it is a home device, like those little, you know, devices that you put in your house and they, like, tell you the weather or share the news. Um, and a few of the themes stuck, but I, I was just going off of a base idea and I also just made up a new device that, um, the woman had created, uh, because she works in tech and she likes messing with gizmos and updating their code. And so she kind of like 
tweaked one of the home devices to be, you know, her own personal parrot or assistant, you know, I think I honestly just called it the parrot because it's stuck, but, but also, um, you know, cause they do talk back when you talk to them. So that's kind of where that, that came from with there, but it, it was fun to write. I, I enjoyed writing that story for the anthology and, um, I don't think this gets too spoilery. I mean, it's told from the point of view of the widowed husband of the woman who created it. And, you know, he's an asshole. And yeah, I remember I, so. <laughs> I remember writing from his point of view. And I was kind of thinking to myself, it's like, you know, I hope that this isn't just like too much for this anthology because, you know, I'm having to write from the point of view of a guy who's really terrible. And, you know, I hope that that Laurel and Gemma like the story enough that it's not just like too much. Like, hey, Sonora, maybe we should dial this back a little bit, you know, but um, no, they both really liked it. And uh, they also were both very helpful with their notes uh, and and doing a revision of it because it was a story I wrote for the anthology. And so I sent, you know, the first draft to them and then they mm. came back with some really helpful notes. And then I sent the second draft and that was the one that went through the line edit and is now in the story. But yeah, I don't want to talk too much about the edits cause those are definitely spoilers, but I will say my thanks to both of them because their notes were incredibly helpful. That's fantastic. Um, just one point on the, uh, not going too far, the one, and I'll keep it, as vague as this, Leland George, woman, mother, goddess, death. That story, uh, that was brutal. It was definitely, uh, it didn't go too far, but that was absolutely brutal. And I, I'm curious what people think about it. But as far as uh, the parrot goes, Brennan read that before me and he knew it'd be right up my alley. Cause I love horror tech and, or tech horror, whichever way it is. Um, and I'm just thinking this could be in this could be an episode of Black Mirror. It's <laughs> it's great. Um, so that's all I got to say on that because I don't want to ruin anything. But Brennan, you want to jump in, or uh, you guys want to jump to a different topic? Well, you know we're we're talking about one short story, uh, so I don't know how much there is to cover here without <laughs> actually going bit by bit. I don't want I don't want to assume you have nothing to say though. That'd be rude of me. That would be rude of you. Thank you, man. That's very thoughtful. <laughs> Um, I, I would like to, if it's cool, stick on the subject of, uh, short stories. Um, L Little Paranoias, uh, which came out last year was easily, easily, easily a, you know, top collection of the year for me. And I loved the way that, Thank you. uh, absolutely. Um, I loved the way that it kind of interspersed poetry and, uh, you know, flash type pieces with longer form short fiction, uh, as awkward as that term sounds. So I was kind of curious if you would tell us a little bit about your process for writing uh, short stories or poetry or flash or all of the above. Yeah. Um, so with the short stories, it really just kind of comes down to how long I think the story feels. A lot of times with the flash pieces, several of those pieces were ones I actually wrote for a blog called Spreading the Writer's Word. Um, there's... Um, 
it's a monthly flash picture prompt challenge and uh, Nina Dark Angela and Aaron Lydia Prime uh, send pictures to people in a Facebook group we're in and we write a story based on those prompts and so I was writing a lot of these stories and before Little Paranoia is the only short story collections I'd put out were like these tiny four story collections that were kind of just getting my work out there and so I wanted to collect something uh, longer And I was also thinking, like, I've got all these little short stories out as well as some longer ones. Maybe I can put it together. And uh, Evelyn agreed. She's like, yeah, that seems like the next logical step, especially because at that point I'd started to be published. And so, you know, I could take these stories that had been published and collect them and put them into into a book, as well as writing a few original pieces for for it as well. Like there there are stories in there that don't appear elsewhere, mostly the longer ones, such as um, Weary Bones, uh, Always in My Ear, which that one had also been compared to an episode of Black Mirror. So <laughs> maybe I should make some pitches to, to them if they're still <laughs> filming episodes. Um, and then uh, Seed, um, as well as Quadrapocalypse. So those were all original I'm sorry, those were all original to um, the collection. But usually when I'm sitting down to write, it's either in response to a call and whether or not I end up submitting to the call. Like sometimes, you know, that's just kind of what inspires a story. It also is usually just if I sit down and however long it needs to be, especially, I mean, most of my stories usually need to be at least a thousand words to be realized from the idea, like the initial idea I had from there. Um, so I just kind of sit down and work it through and see how it pans out. And then that's kind of where it goes. Um, I wish, I wish I had a neater process than that, but that's, that's how most of my work has gone. Now I'm curious for my own edification, when you start something, when you get kind of the germ of an idea, do you kind of know about how long it's going to be or do you sometimes surprise yourself? I usually know if it's going to be a novel um, versus a short story. Um, It's been very rare that before that I didn't figure that out before I sat down to start writing it. Probably the only exception, like I may have talked about in our last, um, the last time I was chatting with you guys, so I won't talk about it too long, was seeing things because I was originally writing that as a short story, but I shelved it for like two or three years. And then when I revisited it, um, it grew into a novel. So I pretty much just started over on that. But like, for instance, with Without Condition, at first I was thinking it could be a short story, but then as I was like mapping it out in my head and writing some notes, I quickly realized that was going to be a novel. Um, So yeah, most of the time, if I think something's going to be a short story, it ends up being a short story. once I start writing it, it's pretty rare that it gets longer than that. Erica, I see you thumbing through your copy of Little Paranoias. Do you want to yeah. go next? <laughs> yep, sure. Um, so, yeah, speaking of Little Paranoias, that was the first book or collection that I read by you. Um, and jumping into Weary Bones as the first thing specifically <laughs> that I've read from you, I was just like, oh, my goodness, what, <laughs> what am I getting into? That story, like... 
obviously I don't want to give anything away either, but just one of the underlying themes of how there was, you know, an injection involved in it. I'm just like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, that's really timely for right now, especially with everything going on with the COVID vaccine. And things yeah, like that. So I'm very curious to see if we could, not that I can do anything. I don't know why I said we, but <laughs> if that could become some kind of, you know, something on TV, because that would terrify people. Absolutely. I love it. I mean, I think um, I'd be curious how the skeletons would be done. Like, because um, I'd worry that like computer animation would make them look too fake. But, you know, you also don't want it looking like the skeleton in the house on Haunted Hill from the 50s, or it's like the plastic skeleton pushing the woman into the pool. Um, I do think it would be pretty cool. I think there was, I'm, so I preface this by saying I didn't watch the episode, but I think um, in the redux of Creep Show or, or, is it Creepshow that that got the redo and they did the Josh Mallerman story yep. with stop motion animation? Um, I think that um, something like that would be pretty cool if it was on TV, like have like stop motion skeletons or claymation skeletons or something. Um, but yeah, that would be pretty neat if that could be done. Uh, is But yeah, I'd, I'd be curious to see how that would translate. <laughs> I know this is kind of a hot topic, especially in the horror community with like the whole trigger warning thing. Um, You had a trigger warning before your story, Cranberry. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to jump in and say that I personally really appreciated that trigger warning because it did hit on some stuff that I dealt with in high school. So just getting a little bit of a heads up about what exactly I was getting into there is always very appreciated. Yeah, no, and I, I'm definitely uh, pro trigger warning um, or content warning. I think I might have phrased it as a content warning in there. But I remember actually, and this was where I once again, I'm grateful for my editor because, you know, I wrote the story. And even though it isn't a true story, um, I have had like mental processes like that regard with food and being anxious about food. And so as I was writing it, it didn't really occur to me to write a warning just because it's such like a part of my daily thinking that I wasn't thinking, oh, this could suddenly like set something off. And so um, Evelyn was like, you you really need to put like a, a content warning here because this could be like, you know, triggering for eating disorders. And and I was like, oh, yeah, that's a really good point. I'll put I'll put that at the beginning. And then, yeah, like like you, a lot of people have said they really appreciated that that was at the beginning because it does get really intense with that. So. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to, oh, I'm sorry, Pat. No, no, you go ahead, bud. I was going to say, I don't want to push that hot button, but I mean, my, as far as stories go, I'm not sure how I would personally handle it, but as far as a book uh, goes, um, Playing Possum by uh, Stephanie, I think it's Ray Big. I might be completely butchering her last name, and if so, I apologize. Um but I remember opening her book and on like the very first page, like maybe even before the title page, it said, if you are, you know, interested in content warnings or trigger warnings, turn to the last page. And I thought that was a really great way to handle it so mm-hmm. that, you know, cause I, I have seen plenty of people who say, well, you know, that's a spoiler. It tells you whatever is going to be involved. And I don't disagree with that, but at the same time, it's not fair to, you know, the people who, 
you know, they're, they're, they're looking for a story and and a certain topic comes out of left field and, you know, almost kind of ambushes them. Mm-hmm. So if you know you have, you know, certain things that you don't want to read about that you've experienced and it's just a little too real for you, to be able to put it in and in, in kind of a way um, where you can avoid that if that's something you're interested in doing, I think that, like I said, I think that was done perfectly. As far as trigger warnings go, uh, sorry to keep bringing up the other guests and other episodes, uh, but with uh, Gemma, Cena, and Laurel, they um, they brought up you know trigger warnings and uh, they threw up the idea and suggestion of doing one for their episode, and I'm like, that's a good idea. That's something that Brennan and I get to talk mm-hmm. about if it is applicable to the episode. Um, thinking about it, I. In the beginning, and this, I don't know when exactly, probably a few years ago, when I first started thinking about trigger warrants, I was against them. I'm not going to lie because I just, I'm coming from a place of ignorance and privilege, and I just thought it's horror. Like, it's going to be rough. But again, underlying those two words, privilege and ignorance. And I think that's where people kind of uh, get a little angry. Like, the thing that Stephanie did, that's perfect. It's not hurting anyone. It's not ruining anything. Um, I don't know what it's like to have a guy oogle me, and I would not want that. So that, without going into any more descriptions of all the other awful things, I don't know what it's like no matter how many times I hear it. So I'm for it, and I'm really glad that you guys brought it up again because it's important to talk about. Um, anyone that gets upset with it, well, I mean... You, they can listen to another fucking show for all I care. <laughs> well, and I also think it's important to normalize it. Cause I think a lot of times, a yeah. lot of the resistance is from people not really understanding what it means. And part of that is because it's so incorrectly overused in, in our vernacular, like people use it for the actual, like what it means you're triggered and it like shuts you down mentally or it, you know, creates just this, you know, huge level of anguish versus I'm uncomfortable. Um, And that's usually what it gets interpreted as with people who aren't understanding that triggering is like a psychological term. And um, so I think that's where a lot of the resistance comes from, because especially in horror, people are saying like, well, I'm reading horror because I want to get uncomfortable. And it's like, well, there's a difference between like getting uncomfortable versus like, like you I'm trying to think of a good example, like, and just how it sneaks up on you. Like, like getting on a personal note, my, my husband had been three years ago diagnosed with cancer. And, um, like a year later I was sitting in the hospital, like for his one year check-in and I just saw like the font on the sign of the hospital. And it reminded me of like being in there every day and having surgery. And I had to like go into the bathroom and cry. And that's, you know, a soft example of something, but that's not just me being uncomfortable with a memory. That's like, I couldn't, you know, function properly without you. And it just suddenly hit me. And to this day, I'll sometimes feel that like if I'm reading a story and suddenly someone has cancer or like, it's just a sudden shock or like, you know, I, I won't read stories or I try to avoid stories about spouses dying. And um, I mean, I don't necessarily ask for a trigger warning, but because it's not that big of an impact on me, but like I can see where people would say, 
you know, I've considered it like in the book swaps I'm in, they say, do you have any triggers? I'm like, should I say I don't want stories about cancer or something? But that's, you know, a decision I'm allowed to make for myself. And if people are just throwing things in people's face and saying, you're supposed to be uncomfortable, you're supposed to be uncomfortable. I don't think they, yeah, I think it comes from a place of privilege where it's like, you don't really understand, like, I'm saying you in the general sense, not you, Patrick, <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, whoa. Why are you targeting me? <laughs> no, she's full class. <laughs> That's true. No, no. Like, uh, um, I think it's just, it, um, it does come, I think, a lot. I think a lot of the resistance comes to a lack of understanding, as well as just, you know, in general, Americans especially have a little trouble with empathy. And so it's just kind of like, I should be able to do what I want. And if it doesn't make me uncomfortable, then other people just need to deal with it. And I mean, that's okay with things like earlier, I tweet, if you don't like love, actually, then just don't watch it. But that's completely different than saying, like, if um, you're uncomfortable reading a rape scene, then, you know, just you have to deal with it. You know, this is horror. It's like, you know, you don't have to deal with it. Like, and I think it's completely okay to put like a warning, especially because there are ways you can do it without spoiling a story. Like you put it, put it in the back of the book. I know actually, I think with one of Stephanie's stories on Fright Girl Summer, we put a trigger warning on one of the stories, but what we did was we put in an anchor link so that someone could click on it and it would scroll down to the bottom of the story and tell them what the trigger was. Um, So that way, you know, they, they wouldn't see it right at the beginning and have the story spoiled for them, but they also like, we'll go and do it because uh, um, it's there for them. We just wanted to offer that. That's great. Um, you know what? I can actually, maybe this will help someone. Uh, and I'm not trying to say me, 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 but maybe coming from hearing a, you're, you know, a woman's talking about this and a man talking about this. Uh, I've never said this on the air. I don't even think I told Brennan this. I'm not going to say who. It's there. It's too personal. But the story uh, of what would trigger me, and I haven't read it yet, um, but I'd, I'd appreciate a trigger warning in any fiction. Uh, someone I love dearly uh, had a tough decision years ago and gave up, had an abortion. And when I found out that they were walking to make that horrible decision that haunts them for the rest of their life, and these fucking douchebags are outside judging them with fucking signs like mm-hmm. i want to go there and kill every single one of them and i'm getting my my irish blood's boiling thinking about it now because it's mm-hmm. uh it's already the worst decision of your life like i can't imagine me and my wife giving up my son even at when he's in her stomach that would that would gut me um this happened i don't know I think before me and my wife met, so eight or nine years ago, I believe, and I'm still just as pissed that someone could uh, have the audacity to think that they have a opinion on the person I love, and uh, or anyone, any woman. That's why, I, and this is getting way off base, but again, it's my show. I don't give a fuck who doesn't agree with this, but <laughs> um, that's why I'm pro-choice uh, because of that moment, and if uh if i had a trigger warrant for that that'd be very appreciated by me but if i read that and it just came out uh of left field in a story which again i don't know how i haven't read that it seems like a topic that would come up uh i'd be really pissed and that would probably fuck up my day and it may actually make me cry um Mm -hmm. 
So that's what I got to contribute to that. <laughs> I'm getting too worked up over this. Someone take over. You, you know what, man? I, I, I personally appreciate you sharing that because I know that you know talking about stuff like that is not the easiest thing in the world. Um, I just on the flip- right now, honestly, it sucks. <laughs> Right, on the flip ahead. side, on a more flippant note, I, I, yeah. I'm going to tell you, like, you know, my trigger warning is nothing. I have led a very, like, sheltered, uh, you know, I grew up in a very middle class family. I just, you know, have not had to have personal dealings with trauma. And, you know, there is there is nothing that has happened to me. There is very little that has happened to uh, my immediate family that I, you know, haven't been able to deal with and you know so i am that person or at least you know on the surface i should be that person who looks at all horror and says you know what like i nothing is gonna directly impact me because i haven't been through trauma um but the way i see it is you know not to put myself up on a pedestal but if i can if if somebody like me who hasn't dealt with trauma can at least try and have the empathy to understand that, well, not everybody is like this. In fact, very fucking few people are like this. Um, and, you know, to, to just come from that place of understanding that, you know, I get what trauma is, but I get it from that outsider's perspective, from that, like, you know, that person watching it on TV almost, um, to understand that if you live it, you're not going to want to read about this subject. You're not going to want to, you know, watch a movie that deals with this subject, especially in graphic detail. Um, I, I just don't think there's any, you know, if, if you can do it in a way that, you know, uh, puts it up front and, you know, Sonora, you mentioned that, uh, with Fright Girl Summer, you guys were able to kind of embed a link saying, click here if you want to know, I, you know, and I, I think you could absolutely do that with a, st- a short story collection, you could mm-hmm. put something right up front that says, hey, flip to page 204 and, you know, uh, and it'll give you or or even, you know, flip to the end of every story and it'll tell you, you know, if there's something that you might want to avoid. Um, Erica, yeah. you actually brought this up in the first place. This is this is your fault. So I wanted to know if you had another word on it or, <laughs> or anything. Sorry, guys. Um, yeah, no, just I, I really like how everyone kind of touched on the whole empathy thing. I think if everybody had a little bit more empathy, the world would be a better place, as cheesy as that sounds. Um, sure. And trigger warnings, you know, when I when I first really started getting into the horror scene more, especially on Twitter, I would see those conversations popping up left and right. And it was kind of crazy to me just to see how like nasty and selfish some people were. And and I was kind of in the same boat as, as you guys. I didn't really have a ton of trigger warnings, or at least I didn't think I did. Um, but I've actually, I've started going to therapy at the beginning of 2020, which was perfect timing. Um, but I, through my therapy, I've realized that I, I do have triggers. And one of them is eating disorders. And one of them is cheating. So anytime cheating comes up in any story, movie, whatever it is, I have to put it down. Otherwise, I'm going to have nightmares for weeks. Mm -hmm. So now that I know that about myself, if I see something about cheating, I'm just like, ooh, okay, maybe maybe I avoid that one. But um, I was kind of thinking about that today just because um, I've been working with Aiden Merchant and reading some of his books. And one of the first times he emailed me with a breakdown of like different ebook copies he sent over every single title he had, he put trigger warnings next to them. And I was just like, that's incredible. And it was, you know, anything from dog death to, you know, more 
intense things. I mean, a dog death is horrible too, which I know a lot of people would like to know that up front before they get into the book. So I really like the idea of just making it like more of a common thing. And I love the idea of putting it in the back of the book or adding a link or something to have it out there. Yeah. And I, I just want to add that, especially as a writer, I also think that's where we need to get comfortable maybe asking other people if they think we should add it, you know, kind of like I was alluding to before, sometimes like, you know, when I'm in the space of the story, it's hard for me to think of it as being like, triggering not because like I don't empathize or anything but you know I just think we get so in our world that you know it it helps to have someone else say you know I think this you should have a warning here or this is and, and that's also I think where sensitivity readers can come in handy or even just a beta reader um coming in and, and can tell you things like I know when I send my stuff out for beta reads I always ask is there anything um, insensitive or problematic that has no place in the story. Um, and then that, you know, it's kind of a way to just do that spot check beforehand just to make sure that, because I think it is important because like there are things that are obvious that we should probably point out are triggers, but then there might be other things that it, we just don't see it if it's not as blatant as we see like when there's a warning on tv and so and i think i think especially with cranberry that was something that needed to be pointed out to me because even though it didn't get to levels like we see you know on the uh, on like episodes about anorexia or bulimia but uh it would still it still had moments in there that are indicative of uh, disordered eating that could be a problem for people. So that's why I was grateful for Evelyn to point that out. And then, yeah, sure enough, a lot of people when they were reviewing it were saying, yeah, I appreciated the warning at the front. Hmm. Yeah. A little shout out to Aiden Merchant, by the way, because I don't see enough people talking about him. He was, you know what? Oh, I'm sorry. I, th I thought you were done talking about him. I, I was, was just going to throw out really quickly that I I'm not surprised at all to hear that he's a very thoughtful person. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for, for him to kind of make that consideration, that's, again, that's not surprising. He was one of the first fellas uh, that I had for when I took over Deadhead Reviews. And I don't talk about that that much, but I just, I wanted to, since you brought him up, point that out. Like, I don't know, he's, he's someone worth talking about. I'm glad that you talked about that. I feel that way about him, uh, Erica. Um, while we're still on the heavy subject, I have to bring up, an article that has moved me arguably more than anyone, any other nonfiction article ever has. That's yours, Sonora. Um, I forget that. Uh, my apologies. I came ill prepared apparently, but your <laughs> article, and I told you all about this, but it's this, we're talking about this for the sake of people that it will reach out to and aren't aware of it. And we will have that in the show notes, but uh, I don't even know how this came up either i made a tweet or you made a tweet about uh anxiety and i'm only uh. recently realizing mine this year and just a quick story just so people possibly can say hey that sounds like what i got going on and there for all audio listeners erica's not in her head because after i posted that she's like holy shit i'm kind of like that too i'm a nice person overall I can be a dick to people I think are being hey, Brennan audio <laughs> listeners. Brennan's going so so for people that I think you're nice, Patrick. <laughs> thank you for people that aren't like nice to other people who are dicks. I, I have no problem just like being a jackass to them. But 
I have a inner voice and uh, it just is angry a lot and uh, is very negative, uh, very self-deprecating, and it, it paints a lot of ugly and uh, random pictures until, uh, I don't know, my wife just said we had long talks for years, actually, and eventually I talked to my doctor. He said, can take medicine or you can go to a therapist and uh i said i'd like to take medicine for it i'm not against therapy i'm all for that and there should never be a negative connotation for it that is unhealthy to not talk about something um and after i took my medicine it took a few weeks but i started realizing like holy shit, I'm starting to feel angry. I don't know why I'm with my wife and son. Why am I feeling this way? I'm with two people I love. Um, and it's just anxiety. I don't know where it comes from. But back to you, Sonora, is I read that article. A lot of things that you said about yourself, I'm like, that's how I feel about myself. And for because I didn't I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. I'm a writer. I feel like I talk a lot about my feelings in general whether I'm a writer or not, but I still never really talked about that side because I, I was like, I don't know how to talk about it. I wasn't afraid to. I just didn't know. I read your article only a few months ago. I'm like, all right, I'm talking about this in public, Twitter, blah, blah, blah. And uh, Erica like said she can relate. Like Erica's super sweet. She's like someone you want to be friends with. And uh, she's like, I get mad too. And tell me if I'm, I'm wrong. Your kind of inner voice is self-deprecating, too. Oh, yeah, 100%. That's one of the reasons why I personally started going to therapy, because I am just nasty to myself all the time. And kind of my breaking point was my husband. I was talking him through my personal anxiety and, like, struggles with depression that I've had in the past. Um, And this was back when we were first just dating. We weren't even engaged or thinking about being engaged yet. Um, And he he's one of the people that, like, luckily doesn't understand because he hasn't gone through it, but he wants to understand. So I've really, you know, been able to open up to him. But there was one day semi recently where I told him something that I was thinking and he was just like, how do you think that about yourself? Like that, that doesn't make sense. So that kind of was my quick realization that like, this isn't normal behavior. Like you shouldn't talk to yourself like that. Cause that's just what I've done since as long as I can remember. The, and I got a question for you, because I don't know if I asked this since nor it's, it's definitely, I'm asking this to you as well. Um, do you, so you just kind of said, you don't remember wh- when it started. Uh, I don't either. So do you guys think that snore, are you like that too? Has it always kind of, can you pinpoint when yeah. it started? I mean, it started since I could form memories. Like it's been ever since I was a child, like, um, you know, just worrying about things, especially worrying about getting in trouble. And that's what, (laughs) that's what my inner voice is a lot. It's saying like, you're in trouble. Something's beyond repair, you know, like you fucked up, like, you know, it's very like, uh, 
you did this wrong voice, you know, and it's like you're secretly a bad person and mean and, you know, like people, you know, don't like you or and stuff like that, you know, that type of voice. And so and it's like and they don't like you because you're a bad person type of thing, you know. And so, you know, that's why, like, if, if I ever, like, accidentally offend someone, it's like the worst thing to me. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, oh, my God, this is yeah. Played it, you know, and it just like will play on a repeat. I definitely one of like the first, the, like the, one of the most frequent uh, symptoms of my anxiety is circular thinking. Like I definitely get caught in loops. Yeah. Um, it's very hard to get out of them, but at least when I being on Lexapro now, um, I can like notice when it's happening. So even if I'm stuck in it, I know it's just like stress. Mm. and a phase and it'll probably pass whereas like before i just thought it was normal i I just thought that that's the way my brain is and that's how it's always going to be and that everyone feels this way because that's a lie that anxiety likes to tell you is that that's a normal way to think so and it wasn't really i was until i was like talking to other people and you know they'd be like oh yeah well you know i figure like they kind of just talked as if they figured I was already on an, an anxiety medication. And I'm like, yeah. what do you mean? I don't have anxiety. <laughs> and they're like, are you serious? <laughs> I mean, and those, those conversations never happened, but that was kind of like the underlying tone there. Um, because, you know, a lot of times, like I mentioned in the article, like when people talk about anxiety, it's usually – you don't need help until you've either had a nervous breakdown or you've, or um, you've tried to harm yourself. And I was never at that point beyond, I mean, I'd had like small crying breakdowns, but never like serious mental breakdowns, you know, like uncontrolled panic, having to be hospitalized type of thing. But, you know, and it would just keep getting worse and worse and worse. And that's why, you know, finally, it was just like, so bad. One week, I kept fixating on one thing over and over again. And it was in the same spot at the same time every day. And I'm just like, I can't keep doing this. And so that's when I called the doctor. And um, and I was going to therapy for a little while, but then it just wasn't really working out with the therapist I found. And I was about to start an, with a new therapist and then the pandemic happened. And I stupidly thought that we'd only be in lockdown for two weeks. So I was like, Oh, let's just, and that was back in March. So it is on my to-do list to try and get in touch with them and see if we can do Skype therapy. Cause yeah, I know it couldn't hurt to do like both medicine and therapy, but I will say at least with insurance, the medicine is a lot cheaper than than therapy, but I, I, you know, I do want to be able to like talk it out with a neutral third party. Um, I, I think both are important, but yeah, I remember hearing on another podcast, like, you know, they were saying sometimes, you know, it's, it's just not working out with your therapist and it's nobody's fault, but it's okay to have to try and find a new one. Mm -hmm. And so that was just the advice I kind of had to give myself when it wasn't really working out with this first therapist I found. So. Yeah. And then there was another point in your article that I'm like, holy fuck, that's like, (laughs) I can relate a hundred percent, which was the fear of taking medicine to help you cure anxiety in this case or whatever you got a fear as a if in our specific case uh, as writers a fear that's going to stunt the creativity um that 
But my so my wife is a social worker. She has recently got her license, and she's uh, just to talk her up real quick. Uh, she works her ass off to help people. Um, she's worked in shelters with women in terrible situations to homeless veterans. Um, I know what she does, and uh, it's it's just when. <laughs> When I tell her things and she responds with, well, it's this or that, I'm like, God, I feel stupid. That's not what she does. She's not saying it to, like, act superior. But when I told her that my fear was to not take something to help me um, because I feared it would stunt or hinder my creativity or my brain or slow it down, she's like, that's that I'm putting words in her mouth. She didn't say that's crazy, but that's the only, for lack of a better term or word, uh, she just said that's nuts, and um, she's like, it, it, it'll help. Um, so for anyone that's listened to this now, or you never know, years from now, I think it's always got to be relevant, which is why I wanted to talk about it because it could help someone because you helped me, and because I echoed your article, I know it helped another friend of mine, which is Erica. Who knows who else it helped? And uh, I appreciate you writing that, and. For anyone that this may wake you up and say, hey, maybe it's time I think about some stuff, I'm going to thank you for them. Thank you. Yeah, no, I I actually um, was first inspired to write it because I wrote it in 2019 and it was it did happen to coincide with uh, mental health awareness month mm. but i actually wrote it because i'd been kind of thinking about because I, I think like either the month prior or just very recently uh kanye west had pretty infamously tweeted that he wasn't taking his bipolar medicine anymore because he thought it stifled his creativity mm. and i was just thinking to myself how dangerous that mindset is but it is something that not only do we tend to think because that's one of the lies our mental illness is telling us to try and stay in control, but um, it also is something that I think gets perpetuated in the in the in culture, especially by people who maybe don't have the mental illnesses and so or at least not the same ones. And so, you know, they're seeing the creative output of people like, you know, let's say Vincent Van Gogh or um or Sylvia Plath or you know other artists that did put out great work but you know so they see the, the it's like romanticizing the tortured artist but not realizing like they probably could have done so much more if they'd been able to be healed like it, it's it, they weren't creative because of their sickness they were creative in spite of it and i think it's the same thing with writing too i mean and it, and in a similar vein, that's why I don't really like it when even if people are just joking, they say, well, Stephen King wrote better when he was on drugs. Yeah. It's like, that's not true. Um, and it's also like really ignorant and, and mean. <laughs> so it's like, 
And on a lighter note, it's one of the reasons why I tread really carefully when I say I miss when Lady Gaga was more weird, because I don't mean that I think she should be taking drugs again. I want to say that. But like early in her career, she was a lot more bizarre. And and I always appreciated that. But I think but um, yeah, it's like I think but you hear that a lot. I mean, I hear that about Aerosmith. I hear that about like so many people who got clean and you just have like real jackasses being like, well, they were better when they weren't. And it's like, that's not right. true. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. And you know what? Um, when, Most people at my work know that I write now. They know that I have a podcast now, too. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm not exactly the quiet type. Um, so <laughs> I'm not over there being like, I got podcasts. Listen, but it comes up. Uh, I in the first two years, no one knew that I wrote, so I kind of prefer that, but no going back now. And I bring this up because when uh, I have coworkers that listen to the show, at least know one of them, and uh, when I'm friends with them on Facebook, too, when I posted that, I got my first pro sale. Um, someone that I work with who doesn't listen to this said, uh, made a joke about how I should start drinking more, and that's a... Not a trigger subject for me, but that is a sore subject for me for personal reasons. And I laughed it off, but inside I'm like, that fucking hurts. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a writer and I'm a person and I'm express. This is a positive outlet drinking. I'm drinking right now, but I'm doing it responsibly. I'm having a few beers and that's it. But the way that like that comic came off, like it was like hard, but it, it, it's not funny to me. I don't like that. Um, yeah. And it kind of pisses me off, too. It's like, well, how do you know I don't have a pass with that? Or how do you know I don't have a family member that's got a pass with that? It's, uh, I don't know. I, I think that mental health and my wife's been monumentally helpful with me, um, with making me aware of mental health. Um, it's not taken seriously enough in this country. I don't know about, I can't speak for outside of this country, but in the United States, it's just kind of gross how we handle it. Like therapy, you tell someone you do that. Like Erica felt comfortable to tell us that you did too, Sonora. But you say it to people outside of the horror community because, like, you you start you get a jackass that's gonna start making fun of it in in our little community. That person's probably gonna be exiled super quick. Um, <laughs> outside of the community, you say it, you're gonna get some really mean people. That's all I got to say. I don't know how to end this. You still get that, especially uh, with medication, too. I mean, I think the conversation's getting better, but there are still people who are like, oh, you know, walking through the forest is my antidepressant. And I'm like, it doesn't work like that. (laughs) As someone who loves the woods, I can assure you it's not a cure for anxiety. It's it's just like it's chemicals in your brain, like as much as nature's amazing like it doesn't it's not gonna really you know and kind of like with people making fun of trigger warnings again it's people who think that it's just you being nervous like it's it's and it's not the same thing like it's just you know it's not and that's why i called the article like it's when it isn't normal like because it's it's not normal to like I'd get an a email coming into my inbox for work and I'm like nervous to check it all the time, even though like it's usually just someone saying, here's some work to do, <laughs> you know, like, but, you know, I would, I would just be anxious as hell, like, uh, you know, hearing the little ping or like um, just, 
you know, again, as a kid, I'd like accidentally rip something and I'd start crying or I'd get like an F and I'd start crying. And it's like, it's one thing to be disappointed, but like crying isn't normal, like especially when you're 11 years old and in a sixth grade math class, like no one should be putting that much pressure on themselves. So. No. no, yeah, I've heard of kids getting uh, upset that they're going to get a B and their parents is is uh, going to have a very bad response to that. It's, mm-hmm. it's I don't know how to, I, I don't know what to say to that. Um, anyone know how to segue from this conversation? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll, of the one seg I'll say is that the little poem at the beginning of Little Paranoias was kind of my way to talk about what it is like to live with anxiety. So... <laughs> I love the cover though. It's awesome, the skull. Like if you yep. read horror, you're gonna see you're gonna see skulls. But that the the design for that one was like really neat. No, Doug did a good job with that one, and I remember he told me not only was he gonna try and make it look like you know carved wooden skulls, but he he was getting more into mixed media at that point. Mm. And so he, if you look closely at it, you can see like times new roman type he was using um the pages from the draft i sent him like the manuscript i sent him so you can see pieces of weary bones um they trapped my thoughts and i think little paranoias are on the front uh so moving on to one of your books you know what's funny is when i asked erica if she I'll have her tell her her side, but I reached out to Erica today because this is an impromptu episode, and it's almost an hour in. It's going, for me, I love it. It's been a great conversation, Um, but I reached out to Erica, and she had something funny to say, so I'll let let her tell it. Yeah, so it, it was one of those situations that happened, and I was just like, this isn't real life right now. Like, what is, what is happening? Um, I started seeing things this morning and then Pat texted me when I was halfway through and he was like, Hey, do you want to be a guest host tonight? I was like, what? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So I powered through and I, I finished it today. Um, that story is absolutely incredible. And speaking Thanks. of covers, I love the cover of this one. Yep, Doug did that one as well. Um, yeah, and uh, one of the things that I loved about that one is he made the ghost in the locker so subtle that, like, you really have to look for it to find it. It's a little easier to see in digital format than it is, admittedly, because I selected Matt printing and i think that makes the shadows a little darker which is why i think some people are like wait a minute there isn't a ghost on my cover and it's like it, it is on every cover <laughs> it's just that but yeah no I, I was really pleased with the way he did that and actually um sh cooper did a um an animated cover of it with like the ghost blinking <laughs> so i'll have to i'll have to find that and send it to you guys I can see the ghost, and yeah, I would love to see the animation, animated version of that. I am. Um, I wanted to bring up S.H. Cooper super quick because it it does pertain to a subject we're talking about. I don't know. I'm gonna throw a random minute out there, maybe ten, twenty minutes ago. Um, talking about and it, hers wasn't exactly about. Or actually, I don't want to put words in her mouth. Maybe it was about anxiety. She had in her um, this year, 2020. She had a collection called All That's Fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, fan-fucking-tastic uh, collection. The first story killer. But what was... Uh, can one of you correct me if I'm wrong? 
all, all not all filler or something like that. The title of one of her stories was basically. Oh gosh, yeah. It, I mean, it's something like that. Definitely had the word filler in it. And is basically talking about that. And she talked about it on Ink Heist and uh, her parents, her mother, I believe, Sarah, uh, Sarah's mother could relate to that. And I got to wonder who doesn't think like that because uh, people are insecure. I mean, it comes out and I'm, I can't comment on other communities. It comes out all the time, probably every day in the horror community. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's real bad. Uh, but everyone's insecure i don't care who you are everyone's insecure even the big names have uh you know um the was that the uh is, is it really me do they really like my stuff and imposter syndrome mm-hmm. I, I gotta wonder if stephen king even has it i'm sure he does some days brennan i've been talking a lot why don't you talk oh. <laughs> was there was there a question there or uh, Brennan, um, how many pots have you smoked? <laughs> is, is Stephen King insecure? Let's discuss. <laughs> uh, now we would I like to. I don't know if we want to go down so. that road, but you know, I'd have to say, you know, if I had to guess, I would say he has to have imposter syndrome. I mean, if you're labeled as one of the biggest authors in the world, um, and if you've sell, sold that many copies no, of your books, no, not in the world. To... Not in the world. He's considered one of the best horror writers ever, up there with Poe. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, mean I, I would think it, it at some point. I'll say he's one of, if not the only authors that I think you could say his name anywhere and people would know who he is. Like, he's just so pervasive in culture. Yeah. Like, he's almost his own genre, you know, like just especially because so much of his work has been adapted. And yeah, I mean, he's a really good storyteller. I mean, I see people arguing like, you know, I didn't think this story was that scary, blah, blah, blah. But like, I can tell you, even the Stephen King story that maybe bored me the most, I always remember a piece of it or I always remember a character. And that's what he's so good. He's so good at characters. I think that's what I like the most about his stuff. Just his people are really good. They Um, are. And you know, I, I'm not gonna say it's bullshit because I'm not in his head, but I've heard that specifically for the dome, that he didn't have an outline at all, and I don't know how true that is. This is me just saying I saw it online, but I have heard that from quite a few people, and I, I mean, I don't know him personally. Uh, I mean, I, I kind of believe that because I mean, and I don't mean this in a mean way, but just. The way he's his stories progress, especially the long ones, mm-hmm. just progress in such a spiraling way that I'm thinking he is watching it unfold before him. Um, now that said, you know, and I know he hates hearing this, but I, you know, so if you're listening, Stephen King, I apologize, but he there does have listen been regularly Stephen King. If you're <laughs> listening, I fucking love you. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to put that disclaimer. There have been a couple stories where I didn't think they stuck the landing. And part of me wondered if he was just trying to end it. Um, cause I have read a couple stories like that, that were just so big and then eventually they had to end and the ending was almost always a disappointment and the biggest one like that for me i'm still mad about this was american gods by neil gaiman it's like oh my god i was so upset like if i can do i i I, he's a wonderful white writer i'm not trying to sit here and be like i'm trashing things on the show but like 
you, you know, like I was just so mad because um, you spent all this time building up this world and this war. Like there's this war that's going to happen and then it doesn't fucking happen. And I was so pissed off. <laughs> just like oh my god i I will tell you you know the the one and you know this is a spoiler but that book's been out a long long time and it's american gods yeah and truth be told it's it's not much of a spoiler but like when whenever the uh i didn't um, know Neil gaiman wrote it yeah yep fucking with you not not a great job um (laughs) but when, when uh when when Shadow's uh, cellmate is called Loki, I'm like, well, that that can't be Loki. That's that's far too obvious. And see, I feel you know, bad because uh, Will, my husband, said the same thing, and I actually didn't pick up on it. Oh, uh, I'm so sorry. Like, but no, that's that's okay. no, 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 no. Uh, I, I figured. Obviously, I figured it out when they made it a point to tell me. <laughs> but um, I also was just like, I think I was just. Because I'm probably, I was just reading on ahead with Shadow and what he was doing that I didn't process that, like, Mr. Loki, I just thought it was just, like, some dumbass name, like, you know, <laughs> Neil Gaiman being weird, you know, type of thing, so. I, I mean, I, I suppose, like, you know, that was, <laughs> I, I read that novel, you know, long before uh, Thor, the, the whole Norse mythology <laughs> of Marvel was a household name, right. and... Um, oh, I, I guess if you didn't know <laughs> comics and you didn't know Norse mythology, I guess it's an easy overlook. Yes. But... Yeah. And I, I didn't know Norse mythology at all. Like, oh, I, I still on, don't really know it. My friend's son was like really into it about two years ago, and he knows more about Norse mythology than I do. Like, I know who Odin is. <laughs> that's, about that's Anthony it. Hopkins. See, now there's there's, you know, for the first time in uh, gosh, I don't even know when I read that book, probably like, you know, uh, 2007 or something like that. Um, There's my inner nerd showing me saying, like, how could everybody not pick up on this? (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's funny is I actually read Anansi Boys before I read American Gods. And um, I I did like that one, but that's because it was more contained. Um, I'm actually a big fan of contained stories. Like, uh, you know, one of the reasons I you you probably if you follow me on Twitter, you've seen me kind of complain about the Marvel movies being too intricate. And like, you know, you've got all these references and all these movies you have to watch. And, you know, whereas like I very much like to just have everything I need to know in the material I'm reading right now, as opposed to having to find all these like footnotes and back issues and extra stories and stuff. And I mean, some people enjoy the latter and that's fine, but I'm not one of those people. And so when it just kind of begins and ends all in that text, that's what I appreciate. And that's one of the reasons why my favorite uh, Neil Gaiman book is the ocean at the end of the lane, because, and that also even references one of his other worlds because it includes the Hempstock family and they were in uh, Stardust, but you didn't need to know that to appreciate the story. It was just more like an Easter egg, which is also something Stephen King is good at. Like he'll throw in the Easter eggs, but like, that's one of the reasons I've never really gotten too involved in the dark tower universe because it's just so intricate and sprawling and like all the different references to where like Randall flag shows up. And I'm like, and I mean, again, you know, I'm sure it's great. I'm just, I, you know, if it's a <laughs> I'm in it for the long haul, <laughs> 
See, uh, Pat, Patrick is, is making all kinds of noise over there. Yeah, knows, I have a feeling he knows, <laughs> he knows I love Dark Tower. He knows I love the Marvel movies. But I'm going to sit here right now and acknowledge that, like, if that's not your thing, like, the Dark Tower is essentially a 25-year-long homework assignment. Yeah. Um, same I thing can. with the Marvel movies. That's a 12-year-long homework assignment. I yeah. saw most of them. I, I didn't go see a lot of the side movies. Like, I didn't go see Ant-Man. Um but and, and like after a while, I was just starting to like go with Will because he wanted to see them. And I'd be like, OK, you know, I've dragged him to see Hereditary and um, a few like indie movies so I can go see these Marvel movies. And you know what? They're fun. I mean, like I enjoy them well enough. I'm just not like I see them and then I'm done with them. Like that, that that's kind of where I'm at as opposed to like reading fan theories and digging deeper and finding all the comics and stuff like that. I'm just, I mean, my favorite Marvel adaptation is Spider-Man two, the one with Tobey Maguire. Like I think though that and the first one were like perfect adaptations. Um, and they were all contained in one movie. <laughs> like, That's a brilliant uh, one because you know they you know they gave the they gave that franchise to Sam Raimi and they kind of made him tone it down for the first one, but the second one they allowed him to Sam Raimi a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like in the scene where they're trying to remove Doc Ock's tentacles, yeah, very horror film esque. Yeah, anything, anything over Will, the top. Will Defoe is uh, Will Defoe is amazing. Oh, no, I love him. It, well, you know how much I love the lighthouse. Like anytime I see yeah. someone talking about it, I'm kind of like, did someone say lighthouse? <laughs> did you see the Boondock Saints? No, I haven't seen that one. Oh yeah, of course you would, Eric. <laughs> that is the first movie where I saw. Uh, what the hell is that guy? Wow, I can't re- uh, remember his name now. Norman Reedus. That's yeah. the first time I saw Norman Reedus. Um, it, so William Defoe is in it too, and it's just for a kid that grew up uh, like thirty miles south of Boston. That's like loves talking about being Irish and shit, and uh, watches a film where two Irish dudes kill Russian mafias, uh, mafiosos, and and pimps, which Spoiler is played. Patrick. <laughs> no. Oh, uh, that uh, that happens pretty quick. Yeah. And and they kill Ron Jeremy, who's a pimp. <laughs> How the fuck did they get him in that? By the way, he's so gross. I know, right? I don't know where I'm going with this, but I like that, that movie was absolutely required watching to a, you know, somebody who grew up in Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah. Maybe because I only lived there until I was four, I missed the boondock. Yeah, you're, you're a transplant. That's weird to show it to a four-year-old. <laughs> that, oh, for sure. No, no, okay, no, no, yeah. and, and then there's the fact that it didn't exist yet. Um, oh, no, no, no. I moved away from Massachusetts when I was four. I grew up in Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you, um, I, I'm sure we've talked about this, but I can't remember. So, scares of care. One thing, one of the things that I'm so excited, like the pandemic it's just trivial. It's me just bitching about something that's like super first world class. But the thing that I beyond going to see movies all the time um, is not being able to go to my first con, which was going to be scares that care. Are you close yeah. to, to where that's held? Yeah, I live about um, two and a half hours from Williamsburg. And I oh, actually okay. went I went to scares that care last year. How was that? Oh, so much fun. I loved it. Uh, I was tabling with uh, my friends and fellow authors, uh, Sonny Hatton and Sherry White. 
And so I got to kind of do best of both worlds where I was selling books, but I also got to like walk around the conks. You know, there were three of us at the table. So like, you know, you could have two people manning it and one person go walk around. I got to meet uh, Keith David and I got to meet a few people in person uh, from Twitter. Like I met uh, Tracy from Ladies of Horror Fiction. Uh, Mm. It was fun to see her. And, you know, I met several authors, uh, including uh, Patrick Lacey and Josh Mallerman and, um, and it was fun. And one of the cool things about Scares of Care is that, you know, a lot of cons, there's kind of like a distinct separation between like celebrity guests and con attendees. But because mm-hmm. it's so small and, you know, chill, like you could be sitting in the bar and like the celebrity authors are there or like actually, um, you know, RIP, but Sid Haig was like sitting one table away from me and Sherry and I actually have this funny picture on my Facebook of Sherry doing like a syringe jello shot and you can see like Sid Haig behind her just eating his his burger <laughs> so um, did you meet him did you meet Sid Haig uh not for a long time I mean he walked by and I think I might have waved but um but uh the line to meet him was so long that uh, I was just kind of going in and out in the celebrity room <laughs> I mean, Quentin Tarantino brought him back in the mid-90s. I think it was with Jackie Brown, who played a judge, a small part. But mm-hmm. um, I, I believe it was Quentin Tarantino who was responsible for bringing him back in the spotlight when Sid thought that it was done. And, no, uh, was Rob, Rob Zombie, wasn't it? Well, he was with Quentin Tarantino before. Okay. Rob Zombie brought him. You know what? I gotta say that Rob Zombie probably brought him back. Look, I'm I'm just spitballing here, and I've had a few drinks, so please do not <laughs> do not quote me. Rob Zombie's also from Massachusetts, so let's just say him. <laughs> He's from Haverhill. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of you know what's crazy about Haverhill. There's so many people that are writers, successful writers, that live in that small area, huh. and and that was another festival that I was really bummed to not see. Uh, I was gonna meet. Actually, Erica and uh, Brennan, um, amongst other people. Michael Clark was another one. Um, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, even though I don't live there anymore, I still have family in Massachusetts. And I was actually hoping to go visit in June, but pandemic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and seeing things is actually like my first story set in Massachusetts, even though um, the both both the towns in there are made up. And uh, so is the island, although uh, Evelyn told me there is a Blueberry Island, but it's like this tiny, tiny island, I think, near Martha's Vineyard or something. And so my test to see if I needed to change the name or not was that one of my beta readers, uh, Norm, it was actually from Massachusetts. And so if he asked me, my test was going to be if he asked me if it was based on the real Blueberry Island, I was going to change the name, but he didn't ask me. So I've never heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was, you know, Evelyn, thank you, doing her due diligence and making sure that like, you know, that that the names didn't actually exist because I did make it a point to tell her they were fake towns. So (laughs) now jumping ahead to uh, Fright Girl Summer, we talked about the first time you were on was uh, this summer with Mm -hmm. you and V Castro. And that has moved on to Fright Girl Autumn. Yes. Brennan, I I feel like you're the one that has the best questions for these. So that's my my way of saying Brennan take over. <laughs> do, would you like me to ask if uh we're going to do if we're we're on tap for Fright Girl Winter? 
Hey, so how has the reception been for Fright Girl Autumn? <laughs> Damn it, usually we're on the same page. <laughs> it's been pretty good. Um, I know that with um, a lot of journals having calls for Halloween as well as the election, we um, didn't have quite as many stories coming in, but we still had stories coming in. We really enjoyed the... Um, the calls for Halloween, then we got a few stories and essays for that. Um, and looking ahead to Fret Girl Winter, I know we're not only going to do a revised reading list, but we're hoping to maybe get some more people for interviews or features or, you know, doing book reviews if they'd like. So if any of you are interested, uh, you know, we, we welcome that. Um, and we are working on the new updated logo for Fright Girl Winter, so be on the lookout for that soon. And, um, yeah, so we, we are planning to have one for the seasons, uh, because, um, we do enjoy keeping that site maintained. We like, um, you know, posting essays featuring people. Uh, my, one of my personal favorites on there is the Artist Bazaar. I really like featuring different artists. And so it's always my hope that we'll find new artists that we can show their work on the, on the page. I love that. And, you know, I was half joking about, you know, Fright Girl Winter, but at the same time, as soon as you guys, you know, went into autumn, I figured you, you, you knew what went into creating the program for the summer. You know, you wouldn't have, held it out to autumn if it was eating in, into your writing time, into your right. personal life too much. It, it it seems like this was something you could keep going, and it was so good for the community and for uh, marginalized voices. And, and I, I love that it's, it's going to continue on to, you know, essentially, God, I'm putting words in your mouth, so I'm so sorry if this isn't right, but essentially a year-round program. I mean, um, that's our hope, you know, as mm. long as people are interested in it. I mean, at the very least, we'll always have a reading list ready. We're always willing to feature people's books um, or, you know, if they have things they want to share on our site. I mean, our email addresses are on there and uh, we're open. You know, at the very least, we'll be like, maybe can you tweak this a little bit? You know, we're we're pretty open. I just ask nobody be afraid to submit to us. We're incredibly open for what we'll accept. So. You know what? Me and me and Brenner are talking enough. Uh, Erica, is there anything that you want to throw in there? No, I was just looking at the the site because I haven't actually seen the Fright Girl Autumn, so I'm wicked behind on that. Uh, it looks <laughs> looks great. <laughs> yeah, um, Ellen Avigliano did our updated logo for Fright Girl Autumn. I thought there was a follow. Sorry, Brennan. <laughs> no, sorry. Okay. Um, I, it was it was so similar. I, I actually thought it was. Uh, uh, Eddie did the first one, didn't he? Eddie yes, Generous. He did. Yeah. That's awesome. Yep. So, so, um, okay. I'm just going to move ahead to, is there any, and I know we've already touched on certain things, but is there anything that you're working on, uh, for, well, I'm not going to say this year cause it's only a month left, but for 2021, what can well, we expect from you? Well, God willing, I do want to try and write something for Gabi Knows uh, Helldark anthology. Oh, shit, really? Mm-hmm. Well, you I got a week. I just combined it to <laughs> Hellmark and Helldark anthology. Yeah, you, oh my God, seriously, you do have a week. Yeah, and I mean, because I know they want to put that out in December, but I am like 
also trying to be real with myself. And if I just can't write this, I just can't write this. I have to be better about like giving myself permission to not respond to every call that catches my interest. But I mean, it does sound cool. And I do, I do have an idea. Um, It's just about sitting down and writing it, but you know, just with everything going on and especially, you know, after the election, my brain has been a little fried and it's been a little harder like sitting down and writing than it has been in the past. But um, I am hoping to work on that. I am also trying to work on short stories for my next collection because that's what I'm going to put out next. It's a, um, I think I talked about this on the last podcast, but I'm putting out um, like a dark romance horror erotica collection. Um, I don't know if every single story in there will fit that theme, but most of them will. Uh, and right now it's called uh, Someone to Share My Nightmares. And um, that's I, wait, 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 let's pause on that title. That's amazing. Where did you come up with that? Uh, it actually, I think, I forget if I came up with the title before the story, but um, it, it, there is a title story that shares that. It's not like just the name of the collection. Hmm. So, okay. um, and I've had a few iterations of how the story goes. So I hesitate to mention too much of what it is because this time next year it could be different. Like it's had about like three different iterations, but I, I'm pretty confident with the direction it's going to go in now. So, um, it's got some pretty cool imagery in it, and I'm hoping I can get it to stick the landing because that's kind of where I'm stuck. So, <laughs> okay, um, like what's the end point? <laughs> yeah, and uh, before I forget, with Gafino's, that was so cool. The for those that aren't aware, or if you're listening to this uh, years past 2020, Gabino Glacius on Twitter just kind of threw out there jokingly something about putting together an anthology where it would be pretty much shitting on Hallmark movies with monsters that kill people. Uh, and enough people responded, and I was one of them, Sonora was one of them. Uh, Brian Keane said, I am in. Todd Keesland said, I am in. A lot of people of that caliber said, sign me up. And uh, within, within six hours, I'm using Gabino's uh, metrics here, it wasn't only possible, but he had a publisher signed up to mm-hmm. work with him on this, and they're doing it. It's Cemetery Gates Media. They're paying uh, almost. Uh, they're paying semi-professional rates, five cents. I think a it's word. like yeah, five cents a word. I've heard that six cents a word is where the line draws from semi to professional. Um, I <laughs> wrote four hundred words for a story that I thought would work. I was like, nope, this is awful. And then I wrote 1,700 words the next day, and I'm like, I'm done. I'm done racking my brain. Two weeks. Like, he, that's Gabino. That is Gabino in a nutshell. And I only mean that with love because he is a <laughs> maniac in the best of ways. Yeah. No, he's great. And, um, yeah, with the story I'm writing, my main thing is, is because it's, it's more about, it's more based on a Christmas special than one of the Hallmark movies. Cause that was just the idea that stuck with me. So, um, I'm hoping it like kind of still fits the theme, even though it's not like monster dropped in the middle of a Hallmark movie, but especially you said this probably won't air until November 30th, right? It will not. Okay, so by then, you know, the call for submissions will have closed, so I don't have to worry about, like, an idea going out into... But one of my favorite Christmas specials is Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. 
And um, I suddenly got an idea and this kind of like ties back into where I like to take something kind of like not dark and make it dark. And and that's what makes it funny to me. And I wanted to have like, I'm writing a story where it's like gift of the Magi, but with a mother and daughter who are, who both kill people and the things that they give up to buy the present for someone else prevents them from like committing their murders. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's like, Oh, I, I pawned off your knife to get you this thing, you know, and, you know, and it's like, well, I said that. And so I'm trying to make that work into a story just like, you know, kind of like a dark humorous take on both Emmett Otter and Gift of the Magi. So. I, so I'm just jumping back to uh, Bright Girl Summer real quick. Like, I've read plenty of stories about you and V. I just love the partnership because you both <laughs> individually offer a lot to readers. But together, you're like, we're going to put this together with, yeah. a, with a kick-ass crew. So I just had to say that before I forgot. No, she's awesome. I love working with her and I love her stories, like her writing. You know, I, my, the first one I read was Maria the Wanted and I really mm. enjoyed that. And then um, I read shortly after that, the erotic life of Malinali, the vampire. And uh, that's one of my favorites. That one's really good. Wait, what? I've actually never heard of that one. Oh, that's her, like, her first novella, and it's an erotic vampire novella. It's really good. Hmm. It is might that... be, like, the erotic modern life of Malinali the Vampire. Is that still being published? Yeah, it's on Amazon. You gotta check that out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Brennan or Erica, we're close to the end of this episode, so I don't want to hog all the airtime. You two... Have at it. So one thing I would add in real quick, you know, you mentioned earlier when we were talking about writing short stories and then you brought it back up again was writing toward a call and not necessarily holding yourself to like, I I have to submit to this one. Uh, But I kind of liked that because I'll kind of do the same thing, use it for inspiration but yet not drive myself absolutely nuts being like, I have to have this done in two weeks because God damn it. Gabino said November 30th. Um, (laughs) And like worst case scenario, you have, you know, yourself a holiday story. And when next December rolls around and all Mm -hmm. these submissions open up, you know, you can dust it off, you can polish it and you can send it off. Um, And, and, you know, I certainly have seen my fair share of calls where, I start writing with the call in mind. And then by the time I'm a couple thousand words in, it's like, well, this doesn't really fit anymore, but I really fucking like where I'm going. So um, now do you, do you find that a fit? Like, do you find that a fair bit that you start writing with a call or uh, yeah, let's just keep it at a call in mind. And then it just goes somewhere different or you just whatever with it. Yeah, actually a, a, Great example of that is always in my ear uh, from um, Little Paranoias. <laughs> and um, I originally started writing that for the Cronenberg anthology that came out, I think, earlier this year, or maybe it was like late last year. Actually, yeah, I think it came out late last year and it was called The New Flesh. 
Um, and as I was writing my story, I was realizing that as much as I love David Cronenberg, I can't write body horror to save my life. Like, at least not in the same style as him. And originally, before I started writing Always in My Ear, I was trying to write, because I'm, you know, communications nerd, I was trying to write from the angle of, like, Marshall McLuhan and communications theory, because a lot of his body horror is rooted in, like, communication theory, and he was actually one of Marshall McLuhan's students. Um, So... um, I was trying to write something in that regard, but it just wasn't working. And then I came up with the idea for always in my ear, but I was trying to make it Cronenbergian and it just wasn't really working. And so when I like detached myself from that call, the story took off and, you know, I was able to focus it more on what I'm better at, which is like kind of getting into the psyches of, of these, of these women and, their relationship with one another and how that's impacted by their bloody hobbies. Yeah. And I think that's a win-win situation as well, where, you know, like you, you mentioned that body horror was not necessarily something you're familiar with writing. And, you know, if I decided that I was going to go that route, I would feel the same way. I don't know how the hell to write this. Um, But it's like you either discover that you have a penchant for it or you, kind of strengthen your own voice. Um, and, and I would, I would say that as a, as a newer writer, you kind of develop your own voice and say, well, you know, it's not really body horror and it no longer works for the call, but you know, I came up with something unique. So Mm -hmm. I, I I think that's a strong tool, um, kind of calling back to those or, or writing with those submissions in mind, but not necessarily beating yourself up and holding yourself and saying, I have to be in this anthology, which is, I mean, that's a whole other conversation about, <laughs> and, and it, and it definitely relates back to uh, our discussion yeah. on anxiety and expectations that we had earlier too. Well, and what's also kind of funny is, um, so with cemetery gates, uh, you know, they have the campfire macabre, Um, And I submitted a story to them that they accepted and they actually were. So I'd written a story that was a bit more like it was like it read as a real haunting. And um, they were saying, oh, well, we're going to do like another call for a kind of quiet paranormal horror. And, and, you know, I just mentioned back, Oh yeah, I'll try and see if I can write something for this. And they're like, yeah, well the story you submitted for campfire macabre kind of helped inspire that. And so I found myself kind of like racking my brain, like, Oh, how can I write another story that's, you know, based on stuff. And, you know, I tried out a couple ideas. Patrick read both ideas and, um, you know, one landed a little better than the other. And so I uh, submitted that one. And what actually ended up happening was they decided to put the lighthouse one in Campfire Macabre and then do my ghost story in the quiet paranormal one. So they basically just switched them. So, you know, it'll be a story in both of them. And so that was one where that kind of worked out where you're trying to write for the antho and then it just, you know, kind of spiraled out that way. So, but they've been great to work with. That's another reason I'm kind of hoping I can get at least a Christmassy one in the hopper, even if it doesn't end up being um, uh, the Emmett Otter one, uh, because I like working with Cemetery Gates. I think they're a great cl- I'm actually reading Places We Fear to Tread right now, which is the Haunted Places anthology, and it's good. 
you you were in that one too, right? Yes, I was. So you're just trying to like run the entire gamut then. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're trying to make it so that they can't possibly put out an anthology that doesn't include a Sonora Taylor story. Shh. No, don't, don't say that, because I get to proudly say I'm a... You're, you're, I'm a you, you've spoiled my master plan. <laughs> no, no, sto- Places We Fear to Tread was the first one where they accepted a piece of my work. And what, what was funny about that one is they put out that call like back in January and we're accepting stories through September. And a lot of times when I see calls, I email them to myself and put the deadline in the subject line so that I, you know, I'm always have like a little reminder to write something for it. And I finally got around to like writing a story for that call um, after I finished seeing things. So this was like months later and it was around September that people were starting to announce they were in it. And I'm thinking like, Oh fuck, like I waited too long. There's no way I'm going to get in in this uh, I, I need to hurry up and write something and then I sent them the story thinking okay well we'll see how it goes and you know they wrote back saying this is exactly the type of story we're looking for we'd love to include it I'm like oh yeah <laughs> they do kind of have that going for them where like they'll they'll make an announcement and like a week later you'll start seeing people saying they're accepted and you're like oh no no I gotta <laughs> I gotta go now. I gotta submit this right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of like that. I mean, I don't think they've announced any acceptances with Gobino's anthology, but you seeing all these people saying, I'm going to write a story, I'm going to write a story, I'm like, all right, I better get cracking on this right now. <laughs> like, I, I want to say that um, S.A. Crosby was also saying he was going to write a story. No, he is. Yeah. So I'm thinking like, Pat oh, I've got to get going. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. so if yours gets no, bounced I, for his, it's Pat's fault. No, I tag. I tagged Sean and a bunch of people, man. <laughs> I want to see more stuff by Cosby in the horror. He said he writes horror. He does. I want to see his name in more horror anthologies. <laughs> um, which, by the way, still can't believe he said yes, but we're going to have him on next month. And I'm like, oh, nice. I'm thinking, are you sure you want to talk to me? Brennan's great, but me. <laughs> um, I just had to say that. To share and uh, whatever, fuck it. I, I I'm talking about myself right now. To share a TOC not only with you but with Haley Piper and, and V Castro and uh, I know there's a shitload more. Jessica McHugh's one. I'm blanking right now. I shouldn't be, but the TOC is insane. Like they are just they they paid. They pay on time. I know, and I know Sarah Tantlinger has a piece in places we fear to try. Doesn't she also have a piece in Campfire Macabre? If she does, I'm for, this is the first I'm hearing yeah. of it, and I'm, I, I'm I'm trying to remember like as they put out like the little the they put out the TOCs earlier, and I'm trying to remember all the names because there, there's like yeah, it, it's it's a stacked TOC in like the best possible way. So yeah, I don't know. I, all I know is that they're for me they came out of left field. I know that they're not. Super duper new, but um, and actually brought that up, and Gemma's like, oh, I got I had a novella with them, uh, like a year ago, mm-hmm. two years ago. And I, yeah, I, grief I, is a false god. I should have known that because I I was well aware of that cover, uh, that that book. Mm-hmm. Um, now, unless anyone has anything else to say, I would like to jump to what are you reading? So, is that where we're going, or do you two have anything else you want to talk about? Or snore? Do you have anything? They want to throw out there. Uh, no, just a, you know whatever the next question is. <laughs> Bring it Sonora. on, Sonora. What are you currently reading? Well, I am about to finish Places We Fear to Tread, so I have three stories left in that. 
Uh, not sure what I'm going to read next. I might read um, Attempting Normal by Mark Maron. That's been on my bookshelf for a couple of years. A friend of mine gave it to me. Um, although I bet I'm going to be really sad reading it because he wrote it before Lynn Shelton died. That was a celebrity death this year that really hit me the day it happened. Um, cause I really like her movies. Um, after that, I don't know. I got, I got a lot of stuff on my Kindle and on my bookshelf and I was reading a, like I was in a big reading speed in October. And I think now I've kind of slowed down a little bit from it. I, I go in ebbs and flows and how fast I read. So, um, I welcome recommendations, but, uh, yeah, I'm just kind of, I'm going through the short story collection and then I'll see what's next. I actually want to throw one out there that is from the seventies, I believe. Uh, and it's, it was adapted by Stanley Kubrick. Um, a clockwork orange. Have, oh, I've read that. <laughs> have you, have Erica or Brennan, have you two read that as well? I've never read the book though. No. So have you, the way you say that makes me think you've seen the movie. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So okay. I, I haven't seen the movie. So Erica is shaking her head, uh, which is fine. I never heard of it until my friend told me about it a few years ago. And, and if she never did, I wouldn't have heard of it. Um, but basically, it's just it's – a, it's a weird, fucked-up story. But they use uh, – it's it, – I think it's in, a, it's in England or America. I'm not sure. Um, but anyways, they use different language. Uh, one of them's one one of the words is horror show. Mm-hmm. That is that is used throughout it. it it's about ultra violence and it's about um, reprogramming a human mind where they see ultra violence to the point where it makes them physically ill. So they kind of have to be not a shitty person. And there's something bad that happens to a kid in it, but the language and and description they use in it is. Uh, it's different. It's not bad. Like being a parent now, I'm just like kind of weird about kid stuff. But it's a it's a classic. But it's fucking weird. That's all I gotta say about it. Um, Brennan, what are you currently reading? I am reading um a bunch of stuff as per usual. I am uh, a little bit into A Place for Sinners by Aaron Dries. Um, and I am reading Hunger Pangs by, uh, Scott Moses, uh, who you may know of Twitter, uh, who is a really cool guy and a really awesome writer too. Um, I'm struggling. I'm struggling cause I'm on beer number like five or six lost count at this point to figure out how to, uh, talk about why I like Scott's writing, but he just uh he does a lot of sensory description. He does that very very well, uh especially with like auditory stuff. Um and his stories just have this like innate beauty to them. It's like you're reading horrible stuff, but you're sitting back and you're saying that sounds really nice. Um I, I I'm only probably 4 or 5 stories into it, but I would definitely recommend it. It's a good book. Uh Erica, how about you? Thank you, sir. This happened last time with the Hunter Shea podcast. I just finished <laughs> seeing things, so I'm not currently reading anything. <laughs> um, but I think next I'm going to pick up Girl on Fire by Gemma Amore, because that one came in the mail a little while ago, and I'm, I'm, I've am i been itching to get to it. But 
I've had a bunch of review copies stacked up and then I saw seeing things and I've had that for months now and I got to that finally. So I was wicked excited, but I mean, the cover of girl on fire talking about amazing covers. That one's also incredible. So I'm yeah. excited. I love Gemma's artwork. Like I always uh, love. Oh, is that hers? Yes. I think so. Yeah. I don't think that covers hers. I, I was looking it up. Oh, last. I, oh I, I, I can't think now. of the name now, but, um, no, I don't think. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Sorry. But um, yeah, well, it is a cool cover. Even though she didn't do that cover, then she, she I do like her covers. I know she did the cover for Dear yeah. Laura, and uh, she just finished one. I think for I think it's actually called Fear to Tread, but it's like a tentacle coming out of the ocean. Um, and the one for We Are Wolves was Jacina Paleo. Yeah. Now I can't wait to get my copy of that one, especially. I mean. Um, I haven't read any of the stories included knowingly. I know some authors, uh, well, I've read Laurel's, um, but I, otherwise I don't think I've read any of the other pieces. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing everything that's in there. Now, a quick shout out to Cassie Daly, because honestly, she's a newer writer, but she is, uh, her, her emotionally driven stories from my point of view, is the closest to Laurel Hightower. Um, and it's its own thing, but they're powerful. And it's not to lessen all, any of the other stories, but um, it's it's good. I read it twice. I beta read it, then I read it in the final version. And the tweaks I saw from one to the other weren't much, but it's, it's good. It's really good. Um, so for me, what I'm calling uh, Pat, really quick before you tell us that you're reading ghoul for the sixth month in a row, um, <laughs> Erica, I was just going to mention, I, I, uh, read, I finished girl on fire earlier this week. I think you're really, really going to love it. Um, if anything, maybe it's just because I read them somewhat back to back, but, um, you know, girl on fire is, is about 150 pages, but it would fit nice and snugly right into the middle of we are wolves. It has that kind of uh fierce quality like kick-ass uh female lead character i think you're gonna have fun with that one i'll be curious to see what you think okay, pat i'm sorry go ahead it's all good man so i'm reading ghoul about halfway through by brian Keane. <laughs> sorry dude i kind of like edit and talk to fucking people about our podcast every day you know my bad fair. <laughs> it's but, fair i don't do the editing so i mean on top of that, I'm also reading Aaron Dry's book as well. It's co-written by uh, Mark Allen Gunnels. It's where the get where the can't talk. Uh, where the dead go to die. Uh, we'll be talking with Aaron sometime in December. First time I'm saying this publicly, but him with guest host Mary San Giovanni Ooh. will be the last episode of season one. Who else would we end it with besides? The Queen of Cosmic Horror and her adopted Australian son. That's my <laughs> words. I don't think that's theirs. So please don't. You should verify me. on the show. Just be like, oh, there are rumors that. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I'll pull a Max Booth. There are rumors spread by myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sources say. <laughs> Sonora, where can people follow you? Um, they can follow me on Twitter. Um, I'm uh, at Sonora Writes on there. Um, I'm also on Instagram at Sonora Taylor. 
And um, you can find me on the web at sonorawrites.com. Is there anything that anybody here wants to say before we say goodnight? Awesome. Okay. Thank you, Brennan, as always, for being my co-host. You are the man, Erica. It has always been a pleasure. It will be a pleasure in season two when we have you on with who knows who. And Sonora, I'm so happy that we could finally do an individual episode. This was as fun as I I thought it would be. So it's been a blast. (laughs) Well, thank you. You know, thanks again for having me on here. I always like chatting with y'all. Same, and you're always welcome, and we will have you on next year, I imagine, when you have your uh, next book coming out. Yep. <laughs> I'll yeah. be sure to keep you all posted on that. Standing invitation. <laughs> yep. And Even if we only give you, like, eight hours notice. <laughs> Which was what we did tonight. Sonora is... You didn't have to give it away. <laughs> hours if I was asked the previous night and couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, we appreciate you for uh, being here with us, joining us with uh, so far almost an entire full season. We got very few episodes left, I think less than 10. So thank you and uh, have a good one. We are in your mind. We are all around. You are now leading Deadhead Space.